Susan, you can go ahead and make your way up here. Uh, if you have been worshiping with us since last August when Susan went to India, she's a precious person who was raised here but came to faith in Jesus just a couple of years ago, and God has so done some awesome things in her life. So would you just let Susan know um, that you're glad to hear the report back this morning? Can you hear me okay? Okay. Um, Thank you for for allowing me to come and speak about my year. I'm going to speak this morning primarily on the year um, and how it affected my life, how it was living there. And then this evening at 5 o'clock, then I'll be speaking um, specifically about the issue of human trafficking and the work that we do, that Rahab's Rope does in India to combat it and to um, directly intervene in that. I have a few pictures that I'll show. Um, but as I was thinking and praying about how I could share a year of my life in 20 minutes, um, it, was, it was hard to think of how I could boil it down. But I think there's one word that really um, sums up the entire experience, and it's contrast. Um, I knew India was a land of contrast before I went because they're top, the top three of the top ten wealthiest people in the world are from India. And the average wage is $1.67 per day. So that's a pretty steep contrast. Um, but it continued to um, be the theme for my, for my journey's walk through that time. Um, first, I want to tell you about the setting. It was hot, dirty, and smelly. All of the things that you think of. India, that is true. Um, but India was also beautiful. Um, the way that the environment aped through the paint and layers of paint revealed themselves um, just created beautiful walls. Um, the people and the way the, their six meters of fabric wrapped around, um, wrapped around women in the form of a sari was beautiful. The color combinations, the people, the world was just beautiful. Um, this is a rice field. This is where I lived during rainy season. That was not pretty. This is the beach. Um, Even though the trash is there, it's still beautiful. The sunset, as I was going on one of my journeys actually to see my dad and brother when they came to see me in December. Um, So this is from an airplane. The sunset on the beach where I lived. Unfortunately, I didn't see the sunset very much because often I was back before or after the sun had set, but every once in a while. Um, Just a little picture of what India looks like. It's very dusty and dirty. And then when the monsoon comes and it rains every day, all day long, then it becomes the muddy picture that you saw earlier. This is a squatty potty. Cows, um, they just run free. I'm sure they're owned by people. We actually had a herd of cows that would walk down the hill where I lived and hang out at the beach all day and then walk back up the hill at the evening. And they would rummage through trash. You would think that if they worshipped cows, they would protect them a little bit better. But what I understand, what people have told me, is that people just throw their trash out so the animals can have something to eat. So the dogs rummage through the trash, the cows rummage through the trash, and, and people that need to. Um, We went to the very tip of India with a group of young women from the Stitching Center. It's called Kenya Kumari, and there are three oceans that come together, and each ocean has a different color sand. So at this beach, 
it's more beautiful than a sunset or a sunrise and as all three of those colors of sand come together. Um, food is, was interesting because you spent just about every moment that you were getting ready to put something in your mouth wondering if it was going to make you sick or not. And I, I went about eight months with that fear. And then I got to the point, well, I haven't been sick yet, so maybe I'm okay. Maybe whatever worms I have living in me like me. And I'll just try different things. Um, but Italy is made out of a rice powder, and it's what a lot of people eat. And chutney is ground-up coconut. Um, a lot of people eat rice and dal, which is their staple food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the community with the people that we worked with. Dal is like a, a lentil, kind of like a soup. Um, we had chana masala one night and dropped it on the floor, so we don't want to waste it. Um, people eat with their hands in India, um, so very rarely you'll see anybody using a spoon. It's primarily just um, mixing things together and, and eating with their hands. Um, and my favorite food, of course, is pizza. So we tried to make pizza often. Um, even though it was frightening um, to eat food or to drink water, wonder if the cup was still wet when they poured your, your drink in it or if the um, food had been washed with veg wash, um, it was wonderful. It was very fresh. They bought the food at the market that day. It wasn't processed and chemicals and, and all of that. So it was other than the parasites that might be living in the preparation, <laughs> the food itself was 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 wonderful, and I loved it, as you can maybe tell. Um, at the stitching, this is a view from above, from a plane at the stitching, the community um, that the stitching center is in. So. Where I live, the spiritual climate of the community that I lived in, which was about an hour bus ride away from the community that I worked in, where I lived was a place where um, there was a family of some of the first, the first believers in the whole state of Goa. So they'd been believers for over 20 years. They'd been through persecution, and much of that village had um, had become believers as a result of their testimonies and their strength and just their witnessing God. They Our church service was three hours long, and our Bible study on 30, Thursday nights was two and a half hours long, if we were lucky. And they believed in, like, they have seen healings. Like, there are healings that happen in India, and I feel like I was a beneficiary of one of those healings after the dengue fever. Um, they speak in tongues, and they really just feel the spirit move within their community. He's very present there. Um, but where I worked, it was very, um, very hard. There's um, a large group of Muslim and Hindus and Christians, which are people who are Catholic, um, but maybe not worshiping Jesus as a savior, but Jesus as a, as a saint and other saints. Um, so it was very, very dark. And before I got there, um, we'd been kicked out of two stitching centers in that year. So people were very afraid. Um, so there was a lot of contrast between the spiritual environment that I was living in from where I lived at night and on weekends to where I went every day. Um, so I was just very prayerful about that period of time that I was there, prayerful about what I said and how I shared um, and how I really represented
the Lord. Um, so this is from, I don't know how many feet. And then this is a picture of the community. And we pull, this is a slum area that is right along the beach. I'm sure it won't be there for very long because this is a tourist state and will be probably destroyed and dispersed. But a lot of people, because Goa is a tourist state, a lot of people from different states within India come there for work, for construction or agriculture or, or different things. This was actually... Um, one of the largest red light districts in the whole state of Goa, and it was bulldozed a couple of years ago. So people went into their homes and then spread out to different cities. So there's a lot of um, a lot of that emotion still there, and a little bit of that work. But we were working in prevention, not in intervention in Goa. This is a picture of the center. We had this room and two other rooms that we worked in. Those are pedal sewing machines. Um, we had a couple of power sewing machines, and I think at one point I mentioned, maybe, you know, should we get some power? But once you're there for a little while and the power goes off all the time, you realize this is actually more productive than a power sewing machine. You may have read an article, one of my updates, but this young woman is 18 years old. She had left school a year or two ago, um, but through the course of teaching 8-year-olds to 15-year-olds, she realized that she really liked teaching and has gone back to college and is going to become a teacher. Um, Rashida is a 22-year-old, very intelligent, beautiful woman. She, um, When I first got there, she was putting flowers on headbands, and she needed somebody to, to tell her which flower to put on which headband, so she was constantly waiting. So we put together a chart so she, so she didn't have to wait on us. But she looked at the chart, and she said, I can't, I can't do that. So we did it together a couple of times, and by December, she didn't even ask me anymore. She just went and did her own thing. And then two months before I left, we needed new colors. So Rashida made the chart herself, and she's completely managing the process for the crocheted headbands with flowers, which is really cool. Just another picture of the stitching center and the teacher and some of the students. We put up, we had a Montessori school teacher come and volunteer for a couple of weeks. And little did I know, the teacher, the stitching teacher is actually using Montessori school principles. Um, I'm, it was completely foreign to me. I thought yeah, a teacher stood in front of the classroom and taught, and everybody took notes and learned the same thing all at the same time. But the stitching teacher has this amazing ability to, to analyze where each of her students is and teach to their skill level and to keep them fully engaged and to encourage them without letting them know that she is, that they can learn other things that they didn't think that they could learn. So this Montessori teacher that came encouraged that we put up some posters with some different things that the ladies could learn so they could see more visually. Just an idea of their dress. A lot of people have asked what I wore while I was there. Um, generally, I would wear salwar kameez, which are which is a shirt that covers your sleeves. Comes down to about right here. And then pajama pants that are like this big, and then you tie them up. <laughs> We 
We thought about taking this picture out, but the more I thought about it, this is actually representative of a lot of days there, especially during the monsoon season when it's really cloudy and dark anyway, and then the power goes off, so it just becomes even more dark. Students learn stitching, macrame, crochet, jewelry making, glass painting, um, beautician classes. They like to practice different hairstyles and leg waxing and eyebrow threading and all kinds of great things. So those, those classes allow them to be able to work in their own communities. A lot of women work um, stitch clothes for their neighbors, for their kids, for um, for their neighbors themselves. For um, They make macrame items for gifts for their friends. They do crochet for, they don't have a lot of decorations in their homes, but they do crochet that goes over their door frames. And so they'll do that for each other. Um, the beautician is something that they can go into the community and they don't cut their hair very much, but they do other things and they can um, provide that service when they're within their own community. And we've had several women be able to go and get a job at a tailor shop or other places like that. But the main the main focus, because these these are housewives, these are women that are taking care of their children, is to provide something that they can do within their home so they're not pulled away from from their family at the same time. So it's kind of a twofold thing. And then even even better than that is providing the confidence that they can accomplish something. To watch the one young woman go from saying, I can't do this, to creating her own chart and managing the entire process without needing anybody's help is a huge self-confidence booster for her. Um, For one young woman to think that she doesn't know English well enough to do anything or she's not smart enough compared to her 15-year-old student to realize that she's really a really good teacher and can manage a classroom much better than I can, to realize that she does know English well enough and can go back to school. For her to actually do that when two of her best friends decided not to go and tease her a little bit for going, but she's sticking with it and doing it. Um, and then on top of that, of course, the whole reason that we're there is to be the light, the light of Jesus within that community. You know, we were not, um, there was a time when we were telling a story, we were singing songs every day, and that was, that was part of why we got kicked out of so many different places. And, you know, I think that, I think that sometimes it was more a list on people's, a, check on people's lists for the day. So we were very prayerful about how to be and just work on developing a relationship with the women that are in that center so they know, like, they would come and say, why are you here? Well, all of a sudden, I get to tell them exactly why I'm here without pushing something down their throat. Um, So that was, it was an incredible honor to be able to be that for somebody else. Um, personally, was also a time of contrast for me. Um, I would teeter between holding on to me. I remember telling myself the first week I was there, like, you have to die to yourself, you have to die to yourself, you have to die to yourself. Well, it's not hard. It's not easy to do that every day. day. Um, So I would 
often find myself holding on to myself. And in October, a short-term mission group gave me a book. It's Lord, Only You Can Change Me, and it goes through the Beatitudes. Well, two months in, I was still on Blessed Are Those Who Mourn, for they will be comforted. And it still took me two months to get through that one and actually say the prayer, two months and dengue fever, to say, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. And it was funny that the first Sunday back here, that was the service. You know, even even going through that emotion and breaking through that time, you continue to build up calluses and scars. Um, so it's a constant, a constant prayer. Um, so I went from that to extreme dependence. I would... I would pray every day, any time that there was a moment of silence in the stitching center, any time I was walking to the stitching center, any time I was in conversation with someone, I was I was praying for an opportunity to be able to share with them. Because I'm in a land of less than 2% believers, and that is ultimately why, why I'm there. So I might not be able to make their life better on this earth, but hopefully the Lord can use me to let them have... An afterlife that is far better than any of the wonderful things this life could be. Um, I used to pray when I walked out of my home whether or not I should go right or left. Because if I go right, there's somebody I need to talk to. And if I go left, there's somebody I need to talk to. Who am I supposed to talk to in a day? And it can be it can be overwhelming. And that is not to mention everybody on the streets and, you know, you you kind of have to put your blinders on, but at the same time, you have to be open to hearing the Spirit move you. And I think it was October when I really realized that He can guide me in that way. Um, when I wasn't sure what to do, and I felt like this, like I was sitting at my desk and I was doing some some like paperwork, but I felt like really antsy. And I thought of a lady that I used to visit that I'm that's to the left, and so. I just got up and I went to see her and she, like, as we were talking, she was like, thank you for coming. I was praying for somebody to come talk to me today because she hadn't hadn't had anyone to talk to that day. And just, he was so faithful to reveal that he can guide us in those small steps as well as those very large steps. Um, and God in general um, revealed the hopelessness of life without focusing on him. You know, I have um, a dear friend who is um, who believes in the idea of this world is an illusion. And the more that you talk to him and hear more about that and how, how hopeless that whole thought is, or the hopelessness of a young mother who has three young girls and a niece who was... Um, who was abused that she can't protect, and she has no way of protecting her family. It, it, this life is hopeless if we don't look to him. And then on the opposite side of that comes the peace that he gave me from being in his will. And, you know, I think, I think the contrast allows me to see more clearly the beautiful side of things. When you get to see so much the ugly. So it was an incredible honor. And tonight I'm going to be speaking more about human trafficking 
specifically. So I would, I would love it if you could, if you have it in your heart to learn more about that, um, to come meet us in the fellowship hall at five o'clock.